Have you ever gotten trapped in an abusive relationship where you just lost all sense of yourself and your own power and your support structures? Marcella Lobos is here to share with us her own journey of healing and recovering her power and about her new book, Awakening Your Inner Shaman, A Woman's Journey of Self-Discovery Through the Medicine Wheel. Join us for a powerful discussion. You're invited, delighted to discover who you are. Anything is possible if you believe. So join us on this beautiful journey. So Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the big mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that guide us to our heart's desires, to just the beauty of life and walking the beauty way, seeing the beauty in all of it. There's beauty in a web of across all of our life's experiences and we can open to that realization and and I love it when people do I'm your host Carrie Hummingbird and this is why I do what I do because when I found the beauty way and I started walking it my whole life changed and I like to bring conversations here for you to experience as well a glimpse beyond the veil into the beauty way to see that there's a whole other way to live than maybe what you've experienced up until now. And there can be another doorway to open. And maybe that gets open for you today. And that's my sincere hope and desire. And so today, my guest is Marcella Lobos. Welcome, Marcella. I'm honored to be with you, Carrie, and with all our listeners. Thank you so much. So Marcella is just a beautiful teacher, um, studied with uh, Marcello, Marcella and Dr. Alberto Vialdo from the Four Winds Society Life Body School, where I trained in energy medicine at the very beginning of my journey of awakening. And wow, what an amazing doorway that was to walk through and experience the shifts and the magic of Peru and the Sacred Valley and um, the, you know, the Incan way, the Kara way, it's just amazing. And to connect with Pachamama, to connect with Mother Earth. And so this is how, this is the context in which I know Marcella is just like such a beautiful pathway that it was opened up there. And Marcella has been extensively initiated in the healing and spiritual traditions of the Amazon and the Andes. She was born and raised in Chile, where she leads shamanic journeys for women to awaken their own power, grace, and wisdom. And she is a senior teacher at the Four Winds Society and is married to Dr. Alberto Vialdo. And together they travel throughout the United States and Europe teaching the wisdom of the medicine wheel to acquaint more people with this beautiful Pachamama path. They also hold um, programs in the mountains of Chile, which I have not yet visited, but boy, I really want to, at their retreat center in Los Lobos Sanctuary. And uh, Marcela directs the school, Los Cuatro Caminos in Latin America, which they both founded to share the same knowledge in Spanish. And she's got her first book coming out, which is so exciting, called Awakening Your Inner Shaman, A Woman's Hero Quest, which is coming out. It's just coming out now. So right now is very timely to get this book. I recommend it highly. And we're going to have a conversation about getting your message out and speaking as a woman in these times is 
so needed. I believe it's women's voices and women's wombs that will heal the world. And I know this is very near to your heart as well. And I know this has got to be part of your book. And so share with us your inspiration behind this book and some maybe some of the experiences you've had in preparing to share the message and getting it out there. Thank you, Carrie, so much. It's beautiful to be again with you after we saw each other in the mountains. So a couple of times, right, in Peru, praying so closely to the heavens and with all the shamans there. And yeah, belly to belly with Pachamama and the earth. So thank you. Actually, I came up, uh, I came across a, a little poem that is very significant to for me right now. I would like to share it. It says, scream so that one day, a hundred years from now, another sister will not have to dry her tears wondering where in history she lost her voice. Ooh, that is potent. Yes, it is because um, <clears throat> I relate so much to us women and many men also, of course, so many people in this world at this time that are striving to recover um, not just our voice, but our bodies, our lives, our destinies, ourselves, our essence. And <clears throat> I, though I have done so many layers of clearing and cleansing trauma and pain and, and family um, trauma and collective trauma, it's interesting that um, the, the moment my book went to the printer, I, I froze and I started feeling very unwished and, and sad and afraid. And uh, being a shaman and <clears throat> walking the path of, of the medicine woman, of course, I, I, I knew I had to do a a ceremony and, and, and look for the source of this anguish. So I did, and I found uh, drumming with my smudging bowl full of smoke and offerings and everything so beautiful. I, I love ceremony. Um, I found these ancient voices, not out there, but inside my body saying, who are you? to reveal your story and expose the tyrants. <clears throat> uh, we are your masters and you have no permission to share these words. Um, so it was really eye-opening for me because I wrote the book with a lot of inspiration and joy and easiness and excitement. So I never expected that at the moment when my editor said the book went to print that I will have this response in my body. So I cleared these, these fibers that I found all over my back and realized that it was that collective punishment that we all went through um, in the middle ages and even before that, that, that just, um, punished us for expressing our wisdom uh, when we were dissidents, when we didn't agree with the status quo, et cetera, we were burned. We all remember that. 
And um, so anyways, it was um, an experience, like visceral experience of clearing these, these voices, but also coming to a place of realizing that I do not wanna play, I call it now the game of shame and blame. So I, I refuse to play the shame and game, no, the game of shame and blame. And, and or as Alberto, our mentor have said so many times, I realize like in my flesh, how we live in a paradigm of masters and slaves. And that it's not enough to clear our personal story and our family stories, but that we have to leap out of the masters and slave paradigm altogether. And we know that this patriarchy is that paradigm of who are on top, who are below of masters and slaves. So it was a true flesh and bones experience of getting out of that game. And now, and, and it's amazing how my eyes and my skin open up to see with more colors. Because you know, Carrie, how the more we heal, the more we see the colors of life and the beauty. And the more we, we have the true opportunity to be joyful. So it has, in the other side of the, the, this experience, I, I have been super like joyful and dancing and celebrating. You know, I love that. I have definitely experienced more color <laughs> since, um, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I remember being up on the mountain in Alcingate and got all the way to the Rainbow Lagoon and, you know, like met the rainbow energetic being that I call the Rainbow Keeper was up there and I was like, wow, here's this Rainbow Keeper. I can't believe this is real. And of course, when you're at 16,500 feet, you know, your perception's open. So you're able to perceive so much more without your brain in the way. And that's what I, I experienced was this um, clearer perception and, and the connection with everything that was there, the stones and, and everything, the lake and the mountain, everything. It was amazing. And it's that um, connection that I believe brings us back to life. And, and you're right. It's like in order to be free, we must go back and connect with Mother Earth. We must go back and be an Earth Keeper. We must connect with this planet and, and our birthright and then um, release these human created or however created energetics that have kept us in this, um, you know, out of our empowerment, out of our sovereignty on this planet. And especially um, the women, you know, because I feel that there's been thousands of years of suppressing um, the feminine, suppressing the feminine arts, the feminine spirit, the flow, which to me is the greater presence of connection with the earth and the planet and the, and the great spirit that flows through this place is, is suppressing that because of what, because of control and domination, because if you don't have access to that, then you are dependent upon somebody to get survival. But when you know you're in connection with the earth, when you know you're in connection with all that is, you're not dependent on anything. You're sovereign. Mm -hmm. Yes, and not just connection, but being one with it, part of it, inseparable from the earth and nature and spirit. Like we are it also. <laughs> yes, with our individual colors and 
our individual minds that think that we are separated, but that is the story we have been told and we have to just come back to here now. We are in nature, we are natural. We are all indigenous, we're all aboriginals. We're all from this earth and, and the goddess um, gave birth to us, humans, and we are in her womb still. So I, I, I feel like for me that that was huge also to discover that I was the daughter, not just of a God, masculine God, but of the goddess. And when you are the daughter of the goddess, she is one with her creation. She is not separated from her creation. So um, then, you know, the milk is always there. <laughs> and you know that you're always protected. And it's a completely different um, story to live in the arms and the womb of the mother than to be motherless in the world. And it's gorgeous to also discover the father that protects and embraces. And that is part of, the, of my book, actually, Carrie, if I may start speaking yes, about please. the book. So um, halfway through the book, I speak about how we were deviated from a goddess revering uh, consciousness as humans in the Paleolithic age, Neolithic, and then when the Bronze Age begins, how we start um, domesticating animals and the more animals we owned, the more power we had. And with the Bronze, we started um, not just fortifying tools for agriculture, for working on the earth, with the earth, for the earth and, and all beings, but we started creating uh, fortifying the tools to as weapons, so creating weapons. So then comes the, the image, and this starts about 4000 BC in Eastern Europe and a bit up in, in the um, in Western Asia, um, how you start seeing the, the culture of the chief wearing this, the important amulets that that uh, signify I'm, I am in charge and I am I am more powerful than you are. I have more animals uh, now. I have more women, and uh, I have and on I own. So property becomes like um, something relevant rather than less share. And you see that the the places where they bury the dead they went from being communal, communion, a, a womb in the earth where you threw all the bones from all the people, you know, everybody goes back to the same womb in the earth to burials that show like the, the important people all adorned. They were buried with their many bracelets and necklaces and, and animals and sometimes children and women. And well, that, that came later, but you know, to signify this was a powerful person. Um, so that crosses to um, Northern Africa and, and there we um, fast forward to the Semitics people, how they start changing the narratives from 
the goddess. Um, I think it was, um, yeah, a few thousand years BC, I think it was fourth, yeah, can't remember right now, but there was a goddess uh, of the waters of chaos, like the primordial woman, <laughs> Tiamat. And when the beginning of the change of the paradigm came when her great-great-grandson, Marduk, um, has a fight with her and with all the gods that existed then, and she was a primordial goddess. So in the end, and this is what shifted the paradigm, in the end, Marduk, her great-great-great-grandson, uh, slays her, kills her, kills her, and then with her carcass, with her body, dead body, he creates the heavens and the earth. So creation happens from the dead goddess. Hmm. Hmm. And, and, and so it's, there's a whole story there in my book um, that I researched, of course. And, and then this Marduk is portrayed with the radiant sun above his head. So now let's turn into um, the skies above the masculine, the light. Let's turn our heads and our hearts and our spirituality up. So we start disconnecting from the waters, from the chaos, the womb, the mother, the dark. And, and she, of course, goes into the shadow. And so all this, this is, was kind of like the beginning. And this, this is how the stories started shifting and changing towards like this one God and, um, and the goddess is put in second place and so forth and 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 yeah and we know the rest of the of the of his story you know and forgot about her story and i think recovering our voices as women today in the collective we are starting to gather those those memories of when the goddess the divine feminine was supreme and and at one point in the beginning it's so interesting in the beginning she was was even the masculine was part of her so there there are artifacts of art that depict her you know in clay for example depict the body of the goddess with voluptuous uh, breasts and big hips and buttocks all signs of fertility and she and her and her head is a fallow so even the masculine is within her being and so forth. And then the sacred marriage comes later. So all of a sudden the goddess is portrayed with her son. So now we have the masculine and then this son grows and is her partner, her um, sacred partner. And then there's that sacred marriage, sac uh, Heros Gamos, but then one day this boy is put in. <laughs> on top of the pedestal and she's put on second place. This is all before Zeus, God Zeus. And, and, and it, it ripples and out them. because that's, I mean, that's a feeling I've had in my life, you know, of being, let's just say I was a well-educated woman. I went to Smith College, which is an Ivy League school for women. And I, I was well-educated, you know, um, but I still fell into this trap of feeling disrespected um, 
and feeling like I had to change how I was in order to fit in or to get respect in a masculine world. And I had this feeling like in order to get ahead, I had to become more masculine. I had to use my masculine side. And I see a lot of women fall into this trap where they're using more of the masculine um, aspects, you know, force and direction and discipline and, you know, all of these things which are beneficial in balance, but then not paying attention to intuition, like completely discounting intuition, um, emotion, cycles, feeling, the dark space where we just, they're going to nothing and it's okay to rest. Like all of these things are shunned actually in Western consciousness. And so now we have this opportunity to reawaken that. And I remember when I was reawakening my intuition before I found the Four Winds program, I it was because I was noticing some law of attraction things happening. And I was like, huh, I think there's something going on here. There was something awakening in me, like noticing it. And of course my partner at that time just thought that was ridiculous, you know, cause it, cause that's the prevailing paradigm is you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's because you are a woman. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and women imagine things and they um, they talk too much and so yeah the ways of, of women have been so dishonored disrespected and undervalued and we we learn to doubt ourselves and that that is so much um, what happened to me and actually I relate my story in my book how as a child to feel safe in the world I also developed very masculine traits I became really strong athletically um, in my body. I used to love mountains, but I, I conquered mountains. And la later on, of course, I learned to go on a pilgrimage. Much different experience. Yeah, very different prayer-filled experience. Absolutely different. <laughs> but I used to want to conquer the mountains and, and conquer the top and be at the top. So that very masculine way of relating to reality. And then... Um, I actually grew up with two brothers, one year older, one year younger, and I loved to compete with my brothers and all the boys because I felt so unsafe that I wanted to be as strong as any boy out there. And I became a surfer, a triathlete, skydiver. I mean, everything dangerous I signed up for. And, and then I met um, the father of my children, who was also an athlete. And in that marriage is when I, became, I, I, I was finally broken down because I, I was abused, physically abused, emotionally abused, and I ended up at rock bottom. And, and my outer strength was not useful at that point mm -hmm. because I couldn't just punch my um, husband of, of the time back. He was stronger than me. So that's when I realized that there was another kind of strength that I had to find and develop, being a woman, being a mother. Mm -hmm. And that's how I began my journey of like, okay, so what do we do women with little children for me, I lived in a different country, no family. I was very isolated. I had no uh, network of, of friends, of community. 
So I was very lonely. And, and actually I did get to the point of thinking that I would take my own life. And of course, what came me from is like the thought of leaving my children alone. It just devastated me. So I, I, <clears throat> I said, well, I'm gonna try, which I have not tried yet. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because I was so afraid of um, being a single mother. I, I had watched my mother struggle as a single mother with four children and looking for pennies in each um, piece of clothing in the house to go buy bread. So it was the scariest thought to be a single mother. And that's why I took so much abuse. So, uh, but then at this point of being face to face with death, I said, okay, I'm gonna try, which I have not tried yet, which is to make it on my own. And, and in that moment, I was at the supermarket and just let me just tell you a story that was kind of like the realization of how bad I, um, I was at that point. I, I was trying to buy tomatoes and there were five kinds of tomatoes. And I stood in front of the tomatoes for half an hour or so trying to decide which ones and all I could hear was not my voice, but my children's father's voice. Those are good for pizza, but these are good for stew. And this would be better for canning. And I, all I could hear was his voice, but I could not find my voice. And I could not decide. So my power was completely in his hands and not my hands. And then I was like, wow, where is that girl that used to climb mountains and go on adventures. And this girl that believed in herself, where is she? Nowhere to be seen. So that was the moment when I said, well, I'm gonna try, which I have not tried yet, which is to make it on my own. And then um, synchronicity, law of attraction. I ran into this local paper that said, soul retrieval with Dr. Alberto Villoldo. And I said, why? Well, I have no idea what that is, but it was so strong. So talk about women trusting their intuition. So when you have nothing else to lose, of course I say, okay, I'm just gonna go to this class, whatever it is. And miraculously, of course, spirit calling me into this destiny, it was happening just two blocks away from my house. So I, I signed up and everything lined up because when we say yes to that calling everything lines up and everything did so my mother came and took the children while I was in class so I could do it and I I made it I I just found the money and I made it to the class and that's when everything started shifting so in that class what happened um Dr. Alberto at the time now he's my husband but at the time he wanted to demonstrate a destiny retrieval. What is to connect someone with an auspicious destiny, not like fate, not what is um, the most probable thing, which, because if you have been suffering, the most probable things that you keep suffering. If you have been sick, most probably you keep being sick. But so to, to do a destiny retrieval, implies that you look for an auspicious destiny line for your client, 
protege, friend, whomever you're doing it for as a shaman. So he demonstrated, I was just fortunate, I guess spirit just put me in that place in that room and Alberto did this destiny retrieval. And, and it was just so visceral how all of a sudden I felt protection around me and something guiding me forward. So it was this thread that kept me going after that, um, after that class. And I just could feel and trust that there was something waiting for me, kind of like through a portal. And so I tell all, all of these, um, uh, I, I speak about all these in my book and what was that threshold, how finally I left that marriage and how I build up my strength in, in the middle of the book. I also fall in love with Alberto, but again, um, who am I to fall in love with this guru, with this, with this like very wise man, powerful man, and nobody. So I, I couldn't believe it. I was not believing what I was feeling, though I was dreaming every other night that we were together. So again, our intuition is so strong and we, you know, we doubt ourselves. Eventually um, I divorced and eventually Alberto who had been with someone also, um, separated and and we saw each other in in some courses and then we became friends and eventually we became a couple so there's a little bit of a love story in the book it's <laughs> <laughs> a big love story I've seen it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's it's interesting that for me with nowadays there there are so many stories of gurus um, and girls fall in love with their gurus and gurus um, taking advantage of the girls. I mean, how many gurus are falling like, falling like flies, you know, from all the sexual abuse that has been around. So I encourage everybody to be so careful, but I don't know. Um, it, it was different this time around. And, and, um, but I did pray sincerely from the deepest place in my heart when I was falling in love with him, I said, Mother Earth, I plead to you, do not let me get into another mess. Do not let me be with him unless I can see him as an equal, unless I can put him down from the pedestal in front of me as a man, as an equal. And actually it, our romance didn't start until I went through that experience in, experience of seeing him in front of me as an equal just a man next to me and that was so important that's actually a big collective healing i mean to uh, to go through that experience is healing the collective as well and helping women to own their position you know on par with the masculine so there's a balance it's not one better than the other it's all they have different gifts and they can coexist in a partnership or in the world in general, I feel like that was a big healing that you did on behalf of yourself, but also on behalf of women to claim that also, to claim that because in order to do that, you would have to claim that you also are his mirror. So if you're his mirror, then you're just as much of a guru as you think he is. So <laughs> I mean, you're his mirror. That's exactly what I was feeling when you were speaking that if 
if we fall in love with a powerful person and that person falls in love with us, it's because they, yeah, exactly. There's a mirror there that is showing us how powerful we are. So to really tap in, into our own value. So and there is a humility too, because it's a different power structure than, um, than maybe it's been predominantly in the collective space, the idea of power over. This is power within. This is, this is wisdom that stands in its own space. And that's at least what I've experienced um, in training with Alberto in, in the classroom with yourself, is that it's wisdom that stands um, inside yourself. It's a very sovereign space. And so there's not like an idea of, you know, we're the expert over you. It's more like we're, you know, we've just been longer on the path and we're going to help you walk through the first steps. And then you're probably going to surprise us at some point because you're going to like, take it to another place that we didn't expect. And I think several times, at least I remember in training that those words were conveyed, like, you know, the, hey, we're we're opening the door for you and we fully expect that you'll surprise us one day, you know, by bringing something forward that we didn't see. So there's that idea of like, it's not set and fixed. That's an old model. This is always like evolving. It's constantly evolving. Yeah, it, it gives me the sense of when the, big condor the eagle is kicking the chicks from the nest so uh fortunately in this school that's what we do in the at the four winds like get those chicks to fly on their own now as soon as possible <laughs> and they're gonna be a, a little bit they're gonna feel awkward first and this and that but eventually they take a flight of, of their own and that is the idea and that's what a true teacher does, actually. And that's what the word guru means. It's someone that shows you the, the path where you forgot it and the way and the light where you cannot see on your own. But then they let you walk your own path. And that is so respectful. I love the, um, the way Johnson, I forget his first name, but um, Johnson says that sometimes the students um, or a client, if you're a therapist, gives you their gold because they cannot believe that they are valuable, that they are also gold. So they project it all on you. Like, okay, oh, you are so beautiful. You're so powerful. You're so wise. They, that's, that's them giving you as a teacher therapist the, their gold. And the teacher and the guru has to be able to hold that goal to, and empower that student until that disciple, disciple is strong enough. And then you say, hey, you are the beautiful one. You are the powerful one. You are the wise one. Here, take all of everything you projected on me, take it back, it's your, own it. Uh, and, and that is so just, just is what we need to do as therapists um, to make a better world and, and not like keep collecting the gold of other people and, and climbing a pedestal. That's so dangerous, actually. And I think the ultimate mentor, the ultimate teacher is a mother, is it not? I mean, because we're connected with our children, not to dismiss fathers, but just to say that there's such great wisdom in being a mother and the connection that we have with our children that has been sort of dismissed, you know, for a long time. And so now we're stepping back into our power with that. And we're, it's like, it's time for women to own their, to take that gold back and to say, thank you for showing me my shadows. 
And now I claim my power back and I know my truth. Mm -hmm. And I feel that um, as mothers to help our children, we have to be again like the guru or the teacher that kicks the chick out of the nest sooner than later. And that is a great gift. And that's how we can empower our children and make them be strong on their own two legs in their own lives. Otherwise, we we teach them how to remain in codependency and how to create codependent relationships. Um, For in my own experience, I understood after I divorced and took the children with me all the way to Chile, um, how important it was, no matter how, how I thought their father was dysfunctional, you know, he has his own journey. So, and, and I'm not the one to judge anymore. Um, but um, no matter how he was, um, it was, I felt like after a lot of soul searching and, and speaking with the indigenous grandmothers, they told me, look, Marcella, it is so important for them to know their father. Um, however he is, because otherwise they're going to always be as adults trying to identify, uh, to look for their father instead of looking for themselves. Mm. So um, if they love or reject their father, that's their issue, not your issue. Send them. So they encouraged me to send them to live with him as they became teenagers. So he was far away in another country and I had to like build up that love it was out of love that I kicked them out of my nest at age 13 and, and 12. It was so painful. And at the same time, it was a big experience. And, and it turned out for the best because they really got to bond with their father without, um, without their father hurting me so they could f- create their own relationship and, me, and, and to take ownership of my own place and me hurting him by allowing him to hurt me so like they were able to build their own relationship and 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 then they have a beautiful relationship and they have a beautiful relationship with me and I I think that that was important in my experience I think that's really important actually because what I've been realizing is in reviewing my own past relationship was how much of a trauma loop there was between me and my, the father of my children was like a feedback loop. Like he'd push this button and then that would make this button go off in me. And then whether this button and then that button, and then it'd like it'd be on and on and on and on. And we didn't have the skills, even Western psychotherapy in two decades of weekly psychotherapy sessions. It didn't, I didn't get what I needed from that paradigm in order to break this trauma pattern. So like cognitively thinking about it, as you know, like it didn't break that pattern. It, it needed a cellular shift. It needed a DNA shift. It needed an energy medicine. It needed to shift at a deeper level than I was getting to with my cognitive therapy. So I made the decision to leave, right? Because I said, this isn't working. I got to get out of here. I can see this is going down to a very dark place because I'm already at the bottom and I'm praying on my knees in the bathroom, like eat, pray, love. So uh, I don't think it's going to get any better. So I, I, did, I made the decision for all of us as a family, I'm leaving. Like, this is not healthy. He didn't want us to stop, but I, I said, we can't. This is, we're training our kids this and we can't stop. So we, I'm going to stop. <laughs> so mm-hmm. 
I moved out and the same thing, the single mom thing. And then, but it was almost more clear because I had a separate household. So then I could see where the differences are. It was so confusing altogether. But then when it was all separate, it was like, oh, I'm like this. I could find myself, like you were talking about the tomatoes, like, ah, I know where I am. This is who I am. And that's him over there. And that dynamic isn't here and this dynamic is here. And so I could start working on this piece that I could control, you know, that I had some Your own measure. world, yeah. 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 So what a journey, Carrie. And Oof. so in my teachings, I wanted to portray my own example of how I went through each step. First of the medicine wheel, how I entered the South, the West, the North and the oh. East. But uh, I also, by teaching so much uh, the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell was able to distill from so many uh, myths around the world from all different ages, I, I, I connected so much with each step of the hero's journey that I embedded the hero's journey within the medicine wheel. So I make them go around like two wheels together, like a vehicle. And in that vehicle is my story going around as well. And then other people's stories, because of course I didn't want to just be uh, all about me, but I wanted also say how this is so universal and it happens to all people that have the courage to break through like you did. And so many other amazing people have had the courage to break through those um, patterns that we inherit that are so toxic and make us stay trapped mm -hmm. in a situation that is really not helping anyone. So how we can break through, um, go through that dark tunnel of fear, of um, a lot of tests, challenges, and how we become stronger by, each, by overcoming each challenge. So you all of a sudden realize that each challenge is just your next lesson. And we walk through all our lessons and then one day we are in the other side of the tunnel, see the light again. And, and then in, in the default um, map of the Medicine Wheel Hero's Journey, that's when we come to the meeting with our feminine essence and, and feminine power which is that inner power, inner intuition, inner knowing, and then um, receptive and not always pushy. And it's not always about resolving things out there, but solving it within. And then being skillful because um, no matter how pushy and powerful we are in the external world, if we're not skillful, it's just brute force. So for me, it was also not just how fast I could climb the highest mountain, but you know, I could, you, you could become smarter and time things better and pack enough water, enough food and have the right shoes and be skillful in how you do things. So it's just, you start maturing, ripening in your feminine wisdom, but also in your masculine wisdom. And in my book, I relate all this and then how finally, the idea is that your feminine, your masculine can dance and live together within yourself and dance. So you can discover that sacred marriage that spiritual and mystic traditions speak about, mm 
one of the most amazing moments for me in my journey was when I discovered that when my masculine became skillful enough, you know, I told you about my childhood, like I never felt safe. So now I can take care of myself enough that I feel safe because my, I'm skillful and my feminine is there and she knows how to guide the, the home, the temple, me and, and how she has her intuition. So then this is a beautiful part. Then the inner child can come out and play yeah. because, <laughs> because it's, there, it's safe. And, and then the inner child is like the divine child in all of us then appears and say, hey, finally, finally the world is so safe. I can play and be joyful. So that's when I experienced this really big, like soul retrieval, like of my joy, of, of relaxing, resting, everything beautiful. Life became so beautiful one day from this sacred marriage. Oh, so, so powerful. And I've experienced that obviously because I'm very childlike, but I, I think it's cool. I like it. I like being playful. It's very inspirational. It's creative. You're in the flow. It's, just, it's beautiful. You see the beauty in the world, even in the challenges. And I love your, your, what you're talking about in your book. It sounds like almost like someone could take a journey through your book and find themselves in it. And even like work themselves through the medicine wheel and through the hero's journey as they go through your story, it sounds like. That's the idea, actually, that people, by going with me, my story, the idea is that everybody reflects where they are at. Did they walk through that milestone or they have not walked through that milestone? Have they met the goddess yet? They have not. Have they gone to, through the sacred marriage or not? And so forth. So the last part of the book is about like, okay, all all children have a passion or us people, we all have that passion that is so unique. I mean, there's the archetypal aspect of it, of it, of course, like there are so many people in the world that like to sing, others like to dance, other people like to be physicists, etc. So there's the collective and archetypal that we all share, but the way we do it is so unique. And this is, I think, where the, the divine child comes into play because uh, we need to not be discouraged. Okay, there are just way too many shamans now around the world. There's no job for me. Uh, who's gonna wanna work with me? I, I will have no, no clients or whatsoever. So, but like this child, this inner self just really realizes that the way we came to express our gift is so unique to each person as if there's a billion people around the world there are a billion ways of expressing our unique gifts or our collective gifts whatever but we each have a very unique way of expressing the gift that we carry inside so the last part of the book speaks about that um, and how we um, must put these gifts in service to life and this doesn't and to all life around the planet because the world needs it and it, this doesn't mean that you're gonna go and speak in front of 500 people or do something amazingly big and grandiose that is 
that you're gonna have an audience of 10,000 people. No, it just really for me means that whatever you do, even if you cook for your children at home, which is fantastic, you do it thinking of all the children in the world. So like with gratitude, wow, I have the time, the love and the, and the resources to feed my children. And as I feed my children, I do it with the love of feeding all the children in the world. So whatever we do, we dedicate it to all, all life, animals, plants, children, all people, everybody. We dedicate every act, every feeling to humanity and, and all life. Gosh, what a powerful message. That's really beautiful, Marcella. I love that. It makes every action a gift to the whole. Yes, because to me, in my reflection of the hero, that's a hero. Is it's not how grandiose. So coming going back to the beginning of our conversation, it's not how grandiose what we do out there, strong out there, climb the ladder so everybody can see you on top. It's not about that. It's like is that anything we give to in life, we give it with such a big heart that we can affect ripple it out spiritually to everyone because we do it with such love thinking of all you know that's beautiful i've had this these moments of course in this contemplation as a messenger and the masculine paradigm of training about marketing and things like that and well you should do this because then you get more followers and all this kind of stuff and uh, it never felt right to me but one of the things that i i had questioned was well if i'm supposed to be of a big help to a lot of people then that means I, I know I'm doing that when I have a big following. Because if I have a big following, then I know I'm being a big help. So I need to see the numbers. Like I was so fixated on the numbers. But then I got this message from White Eagle who says, Carrie, it's about influence. It's not about fame. It's about influence. And I was like, oh, so I'm influencing more than I realize even if all I'm doing is at home doing a despacho with me and my husband. But if I send prayers to like the whole planet, then I trust that it went, you know, mm -hmm. like it's being received, even if I can't see evidence of it. And I think that's yeah. really where for me, it was a big act of, tr of trust that my heart is being felt, even if I'm not seeing the evidence of it somehow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So back to that poems, scream so that one day, a hundred years from now, another a hundred years from now, another sister will not have to dry her tears, wondering where in history she lost her voice. So what we do today, we can do it for that sister a hundred years from now. And it's not that we want to be on top of the ladder, be famous, be rich, but um that we are just giving out what we are meant to give because it's in us. So I think it's from which place, um, even if we have a lot of followers in social media, um, and um, so if we are sensing feeling that, oh, I'm so famous and I'm, I am so cool, then when <laughs> we are in that egocentric, uh, place 
but if like, oh, wonderful, I have so many followers, now I can really offer this gift to more people. Oh, wow, it's a completely different game. I, I'm so impressed by, I love, I love what you undertook in terms of your book architecture and, and in terms of your vulnerability and your transparency and stepping out and speaking in your own right, which I know is such a big deal. It was a big deal for me to publish my first book and step out and reveal secrets about my life, which, and I know from experience that family sometimes doesn't want you to speak certain things and they don't like it because you're going out in public and it's like exposing. And so all of that journey, I, I just honor you in having the courage to be a mom and to be a partner and to be um, a medicine woman in your own right. All of those have aspects of wanting to hide or not totally sh reveal everything publicly and to face all of that and to share is a beautiful gift for the world. So as I know you have huge medicine to share. Thank you, Carrie. And I honor you for also like telling your story. And I just came across um, my astrologer actually brought up to um, to the light. He told me about the, the myth of um, Cassandra. And now there's a book uh, called Cassandra Speaks. So Cassandra is this uh, prophet, woman prophet uh, from ancient Greece that could foresee the future. But because she didn't want to um, be intimate with Apollo, with the god Apollo, she didn't want to say yes to his invitation of intimacy. Uh, he was so upset, he spit on her mouth and said, whatever you tell, nobody will believe you. People will discount it. And again, we are collectively informed by these myths, um, the origin of our civilization. So if we have a mythologist that says nobody will believe women when they have intuition and they speak it up, then of course we are um, disempowered from the beginning, from, from the stories we tell. So um, it, is, it is really um, a time now for women in the world to break through the spell of the being spit on the mouth and start believing what we see in, inside of us, our intuition. We, being careful not to be grandiose, of course, but be very grounded and humble. And, but just start believing what we in, intuitively know and then, um, and then speak up when we have to speak up. And so I salute you also, Carrie, for speaking up your truth and, and revealing your story. It, it, was, it was really powerful for me to take that step. And, and now I'm so excited for people to read my story. <laughs> I'm excited to read it as well. So beautiful. I'm, I'm gonna put a link in the show notes to your book so people can find it um, and order it on Amazon. And again, it's called Awakening Your Inner Shaman, A Woman's Hero Quest by Marcella Lobos. And I will put the link to that. And I just wanna thank you, Marcella, for being here um, to record this interview about your book, to make space for that. I can't wait to share it out. 
and I'm excited about reading your book myself. So thank you again for being such a beautiful medicine woman teacher and inspiration. Grateful to be in your presence. Appreciate you. Thank you, Carrie, for your journey and the example you give us all. Thank you so much for having me. And just a little note, my book subtitle title changed to uh, so Awakening Your Inner Shaman. And then at the last moment before printing, it changed to a woman's um, journey of self-discovery through the medicine wheel. But nevertheless, the title is the same, Awakening Your Inner Shaman. Awesome. I will definitely update that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Okay. So everybody, um, please, if you found value in this episode, share it out to others who might also find value. You can share it out on social media. You can share it in a group that you belong to that people might resonate with this uh, message, share it with friends and give us a rating on iTunes, YouTube, places like that, because that's how the uh, computer engines know it's important. And so we appreciate you for doing that. It helps us elevate the rankings and find more women who are looking to find a way to speak up. And this is a pathway. So I'm gonna give everybody kisses. If you wanna join me, we're sending energy love through kisses. Here they come, everybody. Love you guys so much. And we'll see you next time on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Soul Nectar Show. Awaken Awaken Take a sip from the drip of nectar from the source of who you are. Yeah, yeah.